0: Hello and welcome back to the Spirit-Led Leader podcast. I am your host Naisha Sanders, author of The Fruit of a Spirit-Led Leader. In today's episode, I will be talking about the life of Joseph and what I've recently learned about his journey. I am gratefully overwhelmed by the connection between his journey and my personal story because it reveals the character and consistency of God. So, when I share these 9 steps, understand that I have a testimony tied to them. What's even more exciting for me personally is that because this is a journey, I can say I'm still walking out these steps, which allows me to journey alongside you, exploring God's word to understand how to proceed. To be spirit-led does not always mean you already know the answer or what's next. It's about learning to trust and follow the promptings of God. That said, we're in this together. So let's grow. This episode is sponsored by Resolution Coaching, an organization that provides servant leadership coaching and training because every employee deserves a leader that is spirit led and equipped to serve. To learn more, go to www.rcgrowth.com. You are listening to the Spirit-Led Leader Podcast, where you will go from being prideful to fruitful, gaining biblical principles that will grow your influence, confidence, and relationship with God. I am your host, Naisha Sanders, the author of The Fruit of a Spirit-Led Leader. I am also a wife, mom, and believer in business. Now, turn on that Do Not Disturb. Grab your notebook and pen because it's grow time. Okay, so as you know, I wrote a book called The Fruit of the Spirit-Led Leader. And as such, I have been studying since 2018 what it means to be spirit-led, how to develop your spirit man, and how to be fruitful. Through my studying, I've discovered that Joseph is a biblical example of someone who was fruitful, what it meant for him to live a life of fruitfulness, and how his story translates back to us. The story of Joseph starts in Genesis 37 with dreams of greatness. And through the remaining chapters, we get insight into his struggle to rulership. Because he had dreams, he was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, promoted and lied on, put into prison and forgotten. But through it all. He served and ruled over his affliction. How many times have you found yourself in a pit or a prison, all while in pursuit of a dream? Here's the good news: your struggle is success when God is with you. So let's jump in to explore what I mean. Genesis thirty-seven, one through eleven, in the New King James Version says this: Now Jacob. Dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being seventeen years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilad and the sons of Zippot, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the fields, then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, "What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you?" And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This reveals step 1 process big dreams. A few points I want to highlight is one, the Bible says when they, his brothers, saw he was loved more, they hated him. First point is they hated him because of what they saw. The Bible then goes on to say, now Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. What I think is interesting is that this reaction was revealed to us before we are told what the dream was and what their response to it was. I believe it's written in this way to signal to us that it didn't matter what the dream actually was. It was the simple fact that they hated him even more because of his dream. The dream perpetuated what they saw, which was he being Joseph, was loved more, and when they heard the dream, it served as evidence to what they perceived. So they hated him even more. The Bible tells us their response, which confirms how they interpreted Joseph's dream. They said, shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? To fully understand their response, we must know what indeed means. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the word indeed is used to emphasize a statement or response confirming something already suggested. So what they were trying to understand is if this was the confirmation to what they saw. Here's how I translate their response. Are you confirming you're going to rule over us or shall be in charge of us, which is to have power to direct or control us? They hated him even more as this dream and his words confirmed what they saw, which caused them to believe he was loved more. When Joseph has another dream, despite their response, Joseph shares his second dream with them and his father. The Bible says his father heard the dream and rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. The word envy is rooted in low self-esteem, sometimes from very early unmet childhood needs where the person feels inherently not good enough. Two things to note. One his brothers heard the second dream and envied him. They no longer hated him. They desired to have the vision he had. And too, his father rebuked him but kept the matter in mind. The key point here is that both the brothers and father believed Joseph's dream was possible and thought would come true. I think it is important to put in context that this family was not unfamiliar with the move of God. So Jacob, who was renamed to Israel by God, wasn't surprised. He was curious, trying to track what God was doing. Oftentimes, people look at this story and think Joseph was being petty for sharing his dreams. But but being someone who had big dreams I believe he was sharing his dreams, trying to process and make sense of them, that he was so excited or intrigued that he needed to share, looking for validation to vet whether or not he was crazy or if someone else saw it, how he was seeing it. How many times have you shared your big dreams? Not to brag, but to get it out in hopes that someone would tell you one way or another that your dream was reasonable or believable. As to why tell his brothers who he knew hated him, I believe Joseph just wanted someone to listen. When Joseph begins to share his dream, the first time he starts with, please hear. His brothers were the closest to him to hear it. These events led his brothers to conspire against him. In Genesis thirty-seven, twelve through 36, it says, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dodom. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dodom. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, some wild beasts have devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands. And he said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness. And do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it and they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother in our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianites' traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes and he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast have devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. I want to highlight verses 18 through 20. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it and delivered him by saying, let us not kill him. Shed not blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. This reveals step two, purpose of the pit. The pit is a place of protection. Had Reuben not suggested Joseph to be cast into the pit, they would have killed him. Reuben tells us that the pit is in the wilderness. So as you think about your wilderness season, understand that the purpose of the pit was to preserve your dream. One thing I want to bring mention to is that when the brothers saw Joseph, his presence was a reminder of his dream. They didn't see him. They saw his dream. Let's kill him, his dream will say some wild beasts devoured him. They didn't want to be known as the dream killer. It was never about killing Joseph. It was about killing his dream, trying to prevent it from happening. So if you find yourself in a pit, understand that it's to keep the dream alive. Genesis 39 then goes on to share how Joseph had been sold and is now a slave in Egypt. However, though he is a slave, the Bible says he was a successful man. This reveals step three, slave to service. Being a slave does not mean slavery. Genesis 39, 2 says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The point, it doesn't matter whose house you're in or what room you don't think you should be in. If the Lord is with you, you will be successful. The Bible then goes on to say that the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. The only difference between what Joseph's brothers saw and what the slave master saw was perception. The brothers perceived it and compared. The slave master perceived it and leveraged. Because his master saw the Lord was with him, Joseph found favor in his sight and served him, which is step four, a diligent servant. Then the master made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. This leads us to step five, promoted to steward. One thing to note is that the Lord was not the God of his master, yet Joseph had authority over all his master's things and was the overseer of a house that he was a servant in. Now, the Bible goes on to share that Joseph was handsome in form and apparent. Remember, if we think about what Joseph represented, his dream, I also translate this to mean his dream was attractive. This attraction presented a temptation to sin against God. However, Joseph did not fall for the attempt and as a result was lied on. This lie put him in prison, which leads us to step six, confined to purpose. This was a place of isolation. However, the Bible says in Genesis thirty-nine twenty-one, "...but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison." This leads us to step seven, discover your gifting. In this place, Joseph had authority yet again to do whatever. The Bible says in Genesis 39, 22, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand, all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. This prison, a place of isolation, is where Joseph began to practice leadership. And whatever he did, the Lord made prosper. This takes us to step eight, serve in your gifting. Now, in a place of leadership, Joseph has two prisoners under his authority, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt. They both have a dream. Joseph notices they were sad and asks, what was making them look so sad? And they each said, we have had a dream and there is no interpreters of it. So Joseph said to them in Genesis 48, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me. Pause here to note Joseph's confidence. First, he understands that what they were asking was only possible with God. However, because he knew God was with him, he had no doubt to operate in his gifting. Both shared their dreams. The butler gets a positive outcome and the baker is hung to death. Joseph asked the butler to remember him and mentioned this to Pharaoh to help him get out of prison. Well, when the interpretations came true, the butler did not remember Joseph. The Bible says the butler forgot him. It was two full years before Joseph is remembered. A point to note, you may feel like you did something for someone and they seem to have forgotten. You may even think it's because of the isolation, you're not getting the visibility you need to get out of the place you feel stuck. But I want to encourage you that this place is not to keep you stuck, but to prepare you for the opportunity, which leads us to step nine, ruler over your affliction. Now in Genesis 41, Pharaoh has two dreams which troubled his spirit and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, but no one could interpret them. Then the butler remembered and told Pharaoh about the servant of the captain of the guard that he had interpreted our dreams and it came to pass. Sometimes being forgotten is divine alignment. Had the butler told Pharaoh two years earlier, Pharaoh would not have listened because he didn't have a need for an interpreter. Told too soon, may have disregarded Joseph's gift as not being useful or not needed. However, when Pharaoh was troubled and in need of an interpreter, the solution and its testimonials were readily available. Pharaoh calls for Joseph and asks if he be able to interpret his dreams, and he gives glory to God by saying in Genesis 41, 16, It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer at peace. Then Pharaoh shares, and Joseph shares the interpretation and instantly rose to power. Genesis 41, 38, Pharaoh says to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man whom is the spirit of god then he said to joseph inasmuch as god has shown you all this there is no one as discerning and wise as you you shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word only in regards to the throne will i be greater than you see i have set you over all the land of egypt I want to highlight a parallel in Genesis 41, 32. Joseph says the dream was repeated twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, going back to the beginning, when Joseph was just a boy, he had two dreams. He knew he had a dream to be interpreted, but went to the wrong source, his brothers. Over time, he grew to realize dream interpretations belonged to God. When he had children, he named the first to mean, For God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. In the second, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Egypt represented Joseph's affliction. It was a place intended to harm him. However, when he reunited with his brothers, he was spiritually mature enough to understand that his journey was necessary. He says in Genesis 45, 5, but do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life, to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Here's what I want to leave you with. A life of fruitfulness is about having dreams that land you in pits and prisons that cause you to serve in places you feel stuck and being forgotten when you feel ready to get out. However, the places of wilderness, isolation, and affliction are clues to where God has given you favor. Fruitfulness is the evidence that God is with you. You prospering in places meant for death lets others know, one, what your gift is and where it is needed. And two, that the spirit of God is leading you. It's a journey and experience with God that preserves and saves life. If this episode spoke to your heart, let me know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. This allows for not only me to see it, but all those who may need to hear your revelation. In the next episode, I have a special announcement. So stay tuned. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast so that you can receive a notification of when the next episode is released. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for listening to the Spirit Led Leader podcast. Right now, I want to invite you to come alongside me by subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss the next episode. And for those of you who have already subscribed, thank you. I've gotten vulnerable. Now it's your turn. I want to hear from you. And so here are a couple ways for you to reach out. One, join me in the Spirit Led Leader community on LinkedIn and let me know what you got out of this episode. Two, leave a positive written review if you feel others need to hear this. And three, if you thought this episode was powerful and one you would like to share, please leave a five-star rating and share it. I'm so grateful to host this show and truly excited for what God is going to do in and through us this week. Until next time, keep in step and know that God's got you, therefore you got it.